Well, this morning we're continuing on our series on Elisha, and we're now going to come to a familiar and beloved story and miracle. It's the healing of Naaman. And now I really tried to get more than one miracle in this message so we can progress a little faster, but it didn't work. Um, I was just kind of studying this out, and there's, there's so many things in this story that are significant and that can speak to us. Um, so I don't think we'll go beyond that this morning. But, but we have this remarkable story. And what's interesting is that the, the central figure um, is not an Israelite. He's a Gentile. Well, of course, we know we're familiar with that in the New Testament because the Lord often you know, made that point uh, sometimes that Gentiles had faith. And, and so here's an example in the Old Testament. He's not just any Gentile but he's a mighty general in the army of Syria, which is the enemy of Israel. So that's quite someone to point out and to have a whole big section on in, in 2 Kings. And so we can read about him in, in 2 Kings 5 and verse 1. It says, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him... The Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And so we can note something kind of interesting here. It says, by him, the Lord gave victory. By him, the Lord gave victory. And so here's a man, even though he's a Gentile and he's a in general in a foreign army, even in Israel, it's evident that God's hand was with Naaman, because it says, by him the Lord had given victory. Right? And so God was using Naaman to accomplish his purposes. And God does that in the earth, even among the heathen and the unsaved. God has his purposes, and sometimes he uses people to accomplish his will. And so here's Naaman. But perhaps God was looking at Naaman also in his foreknowledge. Because he saw that as, as he put his hand on this man and moved him in a certain direction, Naaman's heart would respond to God in the future, as we will see. Right? Because we can know from the story, or at least assume, that, that, that in one of the deepest trials of his life, he responded to the living God. Now, of course, that trial was that, that last little phrase that we saw. He had a lot going for him. But he was a leper. And today that's a rare disease. I've actually, I've looked at it before. I looked at it again last night, just kind of looking up leprosy. And there's still cases of it in the earth. I mean, it still happens uh, because of an infection that, that can come. It can crop up from different sources. Um, but today it can be treated with antibiotics, right? And so there's very few cases. It's not really considered to be a major disease anymore because it's, it's treatable. But back then, it was, it was almost like a death sentence, right? I mean, if you got that, it was, it was life-ending, and it was a slow death, and it was a pretty terrible thing. And it was life-altering. As soon as you got it, you were unclean. You were an outcast. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if, you, if Naaman just got the disease, and they were trying to figure out what to do, or if he was still in the, I don't know how he could have that and have leprosy. But they were looking for an answer. But 
you know, it wasn't a nice disease back then. It, it would uh, cause nerve damage and all sorts of things, and it wasn't very pleasant. But when you think about it, without this disease, Naaman would have never experienced God. He would have never met God and experienced his power. He would have never seen the truth of the living God or even known of him, really. You know, sometimes we can look at experiences when we're going through them almost as a curse of the enemy. Oh, enemy's coming against me again, bringing this thing. And sometimes we can look at that, you know, we can go through different pressures, different situations, you know, whether they're physical or financial or, you know, opposition of others or so forth. And at the time, Lord, why am I going through this? Why is the enemy allowed to come at me in this way? But yet we also realize there's no such thing as accidents, right? That if we are honest, we realize if something happens, God is in control. He created everything and he's in control of everything. And so there are no accidents. He allows something to happen. We don't always understand why. That's the hard part, right? We don't, we don't, well, sometimes rarely we, we understand why, um, but we acknowledge that God's in control and that he is controlling the universe in his hand and upholding it. And sometimes his ways are just a little bit higher than our ways. And so we, we don't understand or a lot higher. And at times those afflictions can seem so overwhelming to us. So difficult, such a burden. Now, I don't know if Naaman's in heaven today. That's, I wouldn't debate on that, and I wouldn't put any, you know, too much, you know, in whether he is or is not. The scriptures indicate that he was greatly impacted by his meeting with the prophet and meeting with God, and that his heart was inclined towards God. So if he's in heaven, and I'm speculating here, if he's in heaven and he looks back on his life, I can imagine him saying something like this. Thank God I had leprosy. Thank God I experienced that because that drove me to meet with God. That gave me the opportunity to meet with God and be changed. Who knows what are the afflictions are doing in us and for us and what doors they're opening up. The Apostle Paul was talking about this and he was talking about having a thanksgiving, thanksgiving spirit. And in, he said this in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. He says, you know, we go through difficulties, but for which cause we faint not. For though the outward man perish, Yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction. That's a relative term. Depends on where we are, if we're in it or we're after it or before it. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. We only realize that but for a moment part outside of it too. Works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Compared to eternity. Our afflictions are momentary, but they're doing a glorious work. And this allows us a measure of rest, a measure of hope and trust 
that God is doing something glorious in our lives. Perhaps when we get to heaven and we look back and we see some of the afflictions we went through and especially, you know, maybe something comparative to what Naaman went through, we'll look back and say, thank God I went through that. Because through that situation, I met him. And he worked an eternal weight of glory that I couldn't comprehend at the time, but now I'm, I'm, I have it for eternity. Now, another thing we, in the story we see is that he's going to the prophet Elisha to be healed, right? But we mentioned he's not an Israelite. He's not just a Gentile, but he's an enemy. He's an enemy of Israel. Um, we're actually we're going to look at in some of the, the other miracles of how it's the Syrian army that comes to attack Israel and God performs a miracle through Elisha. And so here he is, the enemy of Israel coming to, to be healed by the man of God. But, you know, this really leads us directly to what Christ spoke about his church. Matthew 5.43 You've heard it said, you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Right? That's fulfilling the law of love is loving our neighbor, but our enemy, it's, we have free reign to, to hate them. Right? We have an excuse because they're our enemy. They're treating us in such a way. But verse 44 says, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, Pray for them that which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. That's, that kind of jumps out to me. That you can be the children of your heavenly Father. That's kind of an awesome qualification. How can we be children of our heavenly Father? Is to have this outlook of love. For he makes his Son to reign on the evil and the good, and he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. Verse 48, Matthew 5, 48. Be therefore perfect or complete, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And so as Elisha healed the enemy of Israel, it's a picture of what Christ wants his church to do towards others. And not just the people who are nice to us, but to even those who are, present themselves as enemies towards us. I've mentioned many times in this study, Elisha is representative of the last days. And, uh, you know, God is preserving his church in the midst of tribulation. And there's going to be a lot of enemies that are going to rise up towards the church and are even arising up now. I mean, you don't have to look too far for that today. But what is our response to be? Our response to be that is that of love and every facet of the meaning of that word. You know, we can we can look look not too far to find this kind of thing going on. There's a lot of ugliness out there, right? And we can choose to see those who oppose us as enemies and treat them like enemies and speak to them or speak about them as enemies. The problem is that doesn't put us in the spirit of the children of our Heavenly Father. Or, what that's our natural tendency, right? If someone's ugly towards us, we respond in kind and uh, let them have it. But that's, that's what Israel said. It, you can love your neighbor 
But at the same time, you're allowed to hate your enemy. That was their philosophy. But Jesus was coming to destroy that and say, no, I say unto you, if you want to be children of your heavenly father, you love your neighbor and you love your enemy. But Christ is calling us to have a different spirit. The spirit of Christ within us is called to portray the love of Christ to those who act towards us as enemies. Now, the story, we're going back. I've kind of like talked about different things, healing and stuff, but I want to mention this one thing at the beginning of the story is there's a little girl. And this little girl was in Naaman's household because she had been captured. She was taken into captivity, and she was basically a slave. It says servant in the Bible, but that's that was slave because she didn't have, she wasn't paid, and she couldn't leave. So she was just there. Didn't know if she'd ever see her homeland again. Didn't know if, you know, she'd be able to ever be set free or anything like that. She, all she knew was day to day, I'm a, I'm a slave and I'm a servant to Naaman. Well, Naaman's wife. But look at what she says in, in 2 Kings 5 and verse 3. She hears of the trouble or sees the trouble of her master Naaman being a leper. And so she says to her mistress, Would to God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now think about that for a minute. This little girl's life has been radically changed. She's been taken into captivity. But even in captivity, she has faith. Now, I don't actually... You can say faith, but sometimes that, that can be applied to many things. I don't know if she has a word from God about the situation, so you could probably say she also has hope, right? She, she has a trust in the power of God, faith that God can heal, in that so he can turn the situation. But this little girl's testimony is, is powerful, and it's challenging, because she is in the midst of the worst captivity that you can think of for a person to go through in slavery. If I was in her situation, I might be t- tempted to think, well, Naaman got leprosy. Hey, <laughs> what goes around comes around. You know, you could, you know, you could think, well, the God is a just God, right? <laughs> but she doesn't think that. She says, I want my master to be healed. I'm going to send him to Elisha. Even if I remain in captivity. That's quite a spirit to have. She didn't try to strike a deal. That could have been her golden ticket, right? I can tell you of a prophet that can heal you if you'll take me home, take me with you. That would not be an unreasonable request, you know, that I know someone who can heal you as long as you take me along. She didn't do that. She was just submitting and trusting to God and But she had faith in her captivity. She trusted that God could intervene. And she let God work in that. And so Naaman goes to Israel, and he brings a letter to the king. And it's written by the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And and in it, the king of Syria is kind of blunt. He says, I've sent my servant to you that you can heal him. It's up to you. Uh, And... King Jehoram doesn't really like that. He gets pretty upset at hearing that, and he's like, this 
king of Syria, he's kicking a, he's picking a fight with me. He's putting on me that I am now in charge of healing this leper. You know, and who can do that? And, and he rents his clothes and, and he's just basically in despair because of that. And Elisha hears of that and he sends a message. Why are you despairing, O king? Don't you know? There's a prophet in Israel. And, but there's actually a, a point to this truth that I, I want to, to bring out. You know, the wicked or those who don't trust in God, those who, who don't have a reliance upon God. And then you can have a person who does trust in God. And they can go through the same situation. And sometimes it's those who don't have that trust, they will see the situation, they'll only see the negative of it. Like the king. He's trying to pick a fight and he's, gonna, he's trying to have an excuse to come and take over our kingdom because I didn't do his, what he wanted to do and so forth. But Elisha had a different outlook. Well, because he was a prophet. But yet... There's that truth there is that those who walk by faith, even when trouble comes, are able to look above it and to remember and trust that God can turn things for good. And that's the kind of spirit God wants to put within our hearts. Proverbs 28 and verse 1, it says, when the, the wicked flee, when no man's pursuing. Right? They look at the situation and they get scared and they say, oh, I give up. I'm, I'm out of here. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. That word can mean confident. They are confident in their God, even when they face a scary situation, but yet there's a confidence and they hold on to God. All right, now we're getting to the heart of the story because Naaman comes to Elisha and Elisha doesn't even come out of his house. He sends his servant out and just says, uh, that's okay. Just go into the Jordan and dip seven times and you're, you're going to be healed. You're good. See you later. That didn't sit well with Naaman. He didn't like that. He had an expectation of some great experience, right? And, and we can read what, exactly what he said in verse 11. 2 Kings 5 verse 11 says, but Naaman was upset. He was wroth. He went away and he said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over that place and, and I would be recovered of my leprosy. This is an important thought here because he was on the threshold of receiving his miracle. Right on the point. He just had to do a couple of just steps of obedience and it was his and it seems as if he was about to walk away from it. And the journey would have been in vain. Why is that? It's because he had a wrong expectation of what he wanted to take place in his experience, in his journey, in his life. Have you ever kind of, kind of t- talk to yourself maybe or even talk to God, Lord, I thought things would turn out differently than how they've turned out. Or, Lord, I, I didn't think, I wasn't expecting this to happen this way. And, of course, then we have that decision to make. Are we going to get upset? Or are we going to give up? Or are we going to submit to what the way God always knew it was going to take place? The problem is, is that when we have our expectations and they're different from God's, 
You know what happens 100% of the time? We are disappointed. When we have our expectations and they're not aligned to God, we can be guaranteed 100% of the time we will be disappointed. But when our expectations are aligned with God, or we put a very loose, and some, because sometimes we just don't know, right? We don't, we don't know what's going to happen. But if we hang our hopes on, on a peg that we create ourselves, and sometimes you can just jam something in and it's kind of sort of hanging in there, but you put a lot of weight on and it just crumbles. If we try to do that ourselves, we're disappointed. But if we place our hope in God, we can hang whatever we want on that and it won't fail. Now, if we have a, if we trust in God, but then say, yeah, well, Lord, I'm trusting in you, but by X number of days or time or it needs to be fixed. Well, that, that's our own expectation there too with timing. But wrong expectations will always disappoint us and sometimes they lead us to becoming offended at God. You've probably met people who've, they walked with God for a time and then something happened and they said, Lord, you, you let this happen to me. And they become offended at God. But that's why it's so critical that we come to God and say, Lord, cleanse me of my expectations. Lord, cleanse me of what I think should happen. Lord, give me a heart that only wants to do your will and follow you in the pathway that you have for me. And you know, that's really why King David became such a a man of God. He came to that place where he could say in in Psalm 40 and verse 6, Lord, you've opened my ear and sacrificed an offering you don't desire, you don't desire burnt offering and sin offering, but it's verse 8, but it's a heart that delights to do your will. That's what God wanted. And that's when he followed that way with God, he became a great man in God's eyes. Pastor Bailey said this in one of his books about Naaman. He said, his story is a warning for us that what we imagine God will do is not necessarily what he will do. And we must be flexible, yielding, and easy to be entreated. You know? And so the story, it's a, it's, it's a story of faith. It's a story of healing, of miracles. But it's a warning that, Lord, help me just to put my expectation in you. Lord, show me, is there anything that's going to cause me to be disappointed because I'm I'm expecting you to do things that aren't in your plan. They, they weren't written before the foundation of the world. But if we cry out, Lord, cause my expectation to line up with what's been written before the foundation of the world, because that can't change. But then we won't be disappointed. One last component here to this story is that Naaman, he received his word Right? He had to just walk in that. He'd get his miracle. But he had to go and dip in the Jordan seven times. That required a couple of things. That first required humility, right? Go and, go and dip in, in the, we say the river, but it was not quite like a river. It was a big creek there. But uh, go and dip in the, in the water and you'll be healed. And so we're going to talk more about the Jordan next week, but it really speaks about dying to ourselves humbling ourselves in the eyes of God. And, and sometimes God 
leads us to the Jordan to deal with areas of our heart. And we say, Lord, do I have to go through this again? Lord, I've already been through it three times. Well, Naaman had to dip seven times. So sometimes, you know, there's a range. And so there's that humility, but then there's that continuing. Seven times he had to dip himself. I don't know if he did it really fast, but he only had to do it seven times. But sometimes it's not that fast in the spiritual life because it's working on our hearts. Some things, when we seek God, can come instantly. We pray with faith, believing, and God is so gracious. He heals us, or he meets with us, or he brings the answer, or he speaks a word. I love those times. Other times, he calls us to just continue. Just continue with the last thing I said, or just continue with this thing I'm telling you now. Do it again, and again, and maybe a couple times more. To continue. You know, the, the disciples were having trouble when they were praying for a young boy, and Jesus came, and uh, they, the disciples couldn't deliver him when they prayed for him, and they'd experienced the power of God. They were actually used to deliverance, and they pray for someone, and they're healed. And then this specific case, it didn't work. You know, and they asked Jesus, what happened? And he said, well, some things require prayer and fasting. Some things require a longer or a deeper work to be delivered from or to to bring the answer, the miracle. And, And so it's important to yield to the hand of God as he's working deeper. Sometimes it's the little things that God just takes away, but the things of the heart and our character, uh, sometimes it's the dipping seven times. And so we have to follow the timetable of God and wait upon him and his, his number of working in our hearts. And because as we wait upon him, well, we know those who wait on the Lord, they inherit the earth. But, but he is doing a work, and as we submit to that work, we'll be made clean. You know, that's what it says about Naaman. It says, and we'll read one more verse here, 1 Kings 5. Actually, there's two more verses, sorry. 1 Kings 5.14 It says, He went down, he dipped himself in the Jordan. According to the saying of the man of God, his flesh became, uh, came again like the flesh of a little child, and he was made clean. It's interesting that it would say that, the flesh of a little child. Because Jesus said, in order to enter the kingdom of God, we have to become like a little child. I'll read these last verses here. Matthew 18, verse 2. It says, Jesus called, uh, called a little children into the midst of the disciples. He set them there, set them there and he said, I, Truly I say unto you, except you be converted and you become as a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, this is where God wants to bring us to. Because, it, and, and I say this in an idealized sense. I'm sure sometimes you look at little children and they're anything but little, little obedient angels. But this is, this is God's picture of perfection and completion. What he wants us to enter into, right? Because ideally, little children trust 
They yield and they obey. They don't have to understand because that's beyond them. It's beyond their capability. Right? You, you're not going to sit there and explain to a child the full reason why you have to do certain things. Right? That's not their job to understand, but their job is to submit and follow. But that's where God wants to bring us to. So that we can enter in, as he says, to the greatest things of his kingdom. That happens as we become like little children. And as we allow his work to be done, we're made clean. We're made clean. We're made whole. Now, there's a lot of things we can, as I said in the beginning, we can learn from this story of the healing of Naaman. You know, one is that God's branch of love goes over the wall. And he wants our branch to do the same. That, you know, he loves those who don't love him and he desires us to have that same heart of love and wants to develop in us a heart of faith that even in our captivity, we keep our eyes set upon him, our expectations. We don't have wrong expectations, but that they're set upon him and that God is going to lead us. Sometimes in a cycle through Jordan where he's, you know, one time, two times, and God's working continually, but it's for a glorious end. It's to make us clean. It's to make us whole. And it's to bring us into the greatest experiences of his kingdom for all eternity. Father, we just thank you. Lord, we're so grateful for your plan and your purposes and your your working in our lives. Lord, we just ask forgiveness how sometimes we we see with our natural eyes and we, Lord, aren't looking with eyes of faith. But Lord, we just cry out to you that you would come and work afresh. Lord, even as we've seen in this story, Lord, we pray that you would lead us, that you would give us your heart of love, your eyes of faith, and that, Lord, we would, Lord, have that heart to set our expectations and our hope in you. And Oh, Lord, would you lead us? Lead us even through the Jordan. Cause us to pass through and cause us, Lord, to be cleansed and to be changed and transformed. Lord, we desire to enter into all that you have for us and for our lives. Do this miraculous work in us, we pray. Bring us into those wonderful and great things that we can have for all eternity in your kingdom, we pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you.